0: Inside Books with Breeda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breeda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud or iTunes and our Twitter handle is at Inside Books IRE, where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is journalist and author Emily Horican. For over 20 years, Emily has written features for The Sunday Independent, Image Magazine, Condé Nast Traveller and Woman and Home. She was also the editor of Himself Magazine and The Dubliner Magazine. Her first book was called How to Really Be a Mother. And this was quickly followed by three novels, The Privileged, White Villa and The Blamed. Her latest book is called The Outsider and is out now. Emily... You've a long track record of writing and looking back now, when do you think the notion of writing for a living actually started? Well, in a way,
1: life was made, the choices were made really easy for me because the only thing I could do in school was right. Really? Which is not to say that I was a great genius at it in school because I wasn't, but anything to do with numbers was com- a world denied to me. I'm awful. I like to think I have some kind of numerical dyslexia. <laughs> right, I'm enough. sure I have nothing of the sort. I'm just really crap at maths. I'm terrible at numbers. So I was terrible at maths, terrible at physics, terrible at chemistry. Dodgy at biology, it's a process of elimination. So in the end, you words. realize that writing is the strength that I can build on. Um and, and did I you always enjoy it? Loved it? Always loved it. Right. And I always had my dad was a journalist before he was a Eurocrat. And it just always looked to me like a career that I liked the look of. His journalism pals would come out to Brussels where we grew up. And They would descend on the house and they would all hang out for, you know, long nights and they were clearly having brilliant fun. It always looked like an exciting kind of a job. So it was kind of an obvious one, really. I never really thought about doing anything else. So you said that's for me. And then that's what you studied in college. So I studied English and History. Um I think I can't I don't know how many journalism courses there were around at the time, but certainly UCD weren't doing one. And neither were Trinity. And they were the two colleges in this country that I applied to. Um, and I would always think I think English and history is a great degree. History in particular, no matter what you want to be, I think learning to be trained to train as a historian to analyze in that kind of way is very useful.
0: And what was your first paying job then? Oh,
1: my God, in writing. Um, That's a very good question. My first job out of college was researcher for an Irish language TV programme. So that was research rather than writing. And did Um, you speak Irish? No, I researched <laughs> <enough>. in English. <laughs> no, Somebody terrible, awful Irish. I mean, the the scrapings, the smatterings of it. But I mean, I could. It was it was a program set a travel program set around Eastern Europe. So my job was to find Irish people with good Irish in these various Eastern European capitals and do the background on them, find out their stories, what was interesting about them. Would they make a good person to be a kind of a host guide around Bratislava, for example? Um, And then that came to an end and to my astonishment, actually, somebody I knew had then been offered the editor's job of himself magazine. That was Dara O'Brien. That's right. Um, Very brilliant. And Dara asked me to be his deputy editor. And in hindsight, I think that anyone who would like two people who had never edited a magazine before. I mean, really what he should have had was somebody with 10 years experience, because he had all the brilliance, but he didn't have experience of magazines and certainly neither did I. Um, And yet we did it and we threw ourselves into it. That was my first, I think, paid writing job. Wonderful experience, though. Amazing. For a startup. Yeah. Amazing. A new magazine uh, with some resources behind it because it was Image Publications who were launching it. That's it was right. Kevin Kelly. So we did actually have an office. Um, we had some, you know, we had we had a department to go to. We had experienced wise heads to talk to if we needed advice, which we did. And I mean, it was, it was hilarious. Still one of the funniest times of my life. No issue got to press without hair being pulled out and 24 hour (laughs) stints and you know late night crazy stuff going on 4am in the office and you're trying to finish a page and a paragraph it was absolutely brilliant and really good fun you were learning on the job then yeah literally yeah, day by day minute by minute and where from there (laughs) so from there that magazine sadly didn't survive it was a little bit too ahead of its time Um, you know it was a magazine for men men's grooming products men's fashion it was too early it was it could probably work now it would undoubtedly and in fact there are variations of it now on the market. Um, but so that lasted two years and then I worked for Image for about a year and then Trevor White rang me one day And he said, um, would I meet him and talk about an idea that he had? And I knew Trevor only very vaguely. Um, You know, we had some mutual friends. We had been in an office at some stage together, but I really didn't know him. He suggested this idea for the Dubliner magazine based on New York magazine, a city magazine. And I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. So that was a magazine with no resources behind it. There was no wise head to go to. There was literally just the two of us. Um, with a director and an ever-changing, shifting population of ad salespeople, some of whom lasted like three days. (laughs) Uh, um, I don't know how, we must have gone through about 20 in the first year alone. And we put that together from an office above the International Bar on Wicklow Street. And again, all the hours, all the crazy... All the fun, the best fun in the entire world. And loads of issues of that magazine that I'm still really proud of. And it lasted quite a while, though. It did, yes, it did. I did, did I do four years on it? I cannot quite remember. Until I had my first child, that was my... Everything. It was my full-time job. It was my social life. It was my after hours. It was really living, breathing, sleeping, eating. And then I had a baby and everything changed. So did you does. freelance then at that point mm. or, or how did that work? I did. Um, I went back to the Dubiner for, I suppose, six months or something after Malachi was born when he was about five months. Which is early. It's too, it was too early for right. me. I didn't enjoy... I didn't enjoy having it all. I didn't want it all. I hated, actually, the whole process of being so caught, doing nothing well, definitely not doing my job well. Totally miserable because, actually, I just wanted to be with the baby more. And I couldn't carry on the way I was. And Trevor, you know, through the magazine, for everything, it couldn't continue. And so we worked out a great scenario. I went freelance with a contract from the Dubliner for the first year. So I knew... You know, I went off on my own knowing that I had a certain guaranteed income for a year in which to kind of build up a profile of other writing jobs. And And that gave you a level of comfort, obviously. Yeah, it really did. And it was incredibly decent at Trevor. And we, I mean, we're still amazing friends, but it was, we parted. Amicably. Um, Yes, commercially, you know, our our business relationship ended so amicably and I was so grateful to him. And that was fun. I mean, you know, it was hairy because freelance (laughs) life. That's life. Exactly, but still is. You did build up
0: um, quite a a range of publications that you were writing for. But what's interesting about you, though, as well, is that you've never sort of tied yourself into a niche as a journalist because you seem to write on a range of diverse subjects. Yes. I mean, I'm firmly of the opinion that... Pretty much anything
1: is interesting. If you put the work in to researching it and if the person, it's basically largely people based journalism. Um, If somebody has an interesting take on something or an interesting story, it honestly doesn't matter what it is. I never wanted to be somebody who just wrote about food, Mm -hmm. for example, or who just wrote about fashion or interiors. I love the fact that I have met so many completely different people and research so many completely
0: different topics. And that variety, just yeah. as you say, makes, yeah. this, makes it interesting. Yeah. So at what point then did you think, I can write a book? Well, I mean, <laughs> God, I guess I had always wanted to, but it's really daunting. I know, but was that the classic cliche of a, of a journalist who said, oh, here, I'll just try my hand at writing a book? Sort of. I mean, OK, so there are various bits that go into it.
1: Um Firstly, you know, you have to, you got to earn a living and you have to diversify, I believe. I don't think you can keep doing the same thing and expect to occupy the same position. Think for me as well. I didn't want to refine it down and specialise, as I say, in one thing. I wanted to keep it very broad and. And the first thing I wrote was nonfiction, which of course is much more like journalism. You know, essentially, nonfiction book is a very long, a article. very long article, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so that was something that I was desperate to write about at the time because I was so immersed in it. This idea of having children and what happens—you know, not how to bring up children, but what happens to you, their mother, when you have them, and the really weird ways and unexpected ways that you change. And the person that you become and the life you find yourself leading, which in my case was very unlike I had expected it to be. So that was How to Really Be a Mother. And that was the first book that I wrote. And And in terms of that,
0: then, did you purposely sit down to write it or did it flow over a period of time? I
1: think I started to write something else. Right. I think I may have started to write a novel at that point. Um, And I had had some previous kind of slightly crazy experience with a an American who blew into town with a lot of money and set up a publishing company and f- like wanted me very much to sign a contract with him. And I did because, you know, why wouldn't Money's I? Money's on the table. Money's yeah. on the table, mm-hmm. the deal's on the table. And even though there's a part of you that's going, this is really weird and definitely way too good to be true, kind of go, well, okay. And um, I had st- half started a novel And it was just impossible that it would ever be finished. It was such a mess. It really was. And where is that novel now? Somewhere on a desktop
0: or a hard drive somewhere. It never saw the light of day. It never
1: saw the light of day. It never needed to see the light of day. It never should have seen the light of day.
0: And some other authors and inside books have said that's their practice novel.
1: Yeah. No, no, completely. I did finish it. But it was, the second half was an unresolvable mess. And it was brilliant to go, here are loads of things, never to do. to do. Do not go about writing like
0: that again because it doesn't work. So that was fabulous. And how did you get a publisher then in the end for the uh, the first book?
1: So for the first book I had, so I had the idea and as I say I think I may have sat down to write something else but the the thing that was on my mind was this thing about having children and in the end that was what came out and I got very into it and I had an agent at that stage, Jonathan Williams, who and um, he was hilarious. I rang him some mutual acquaintance said, look, ring Jonathan. After this whole crazy American publishing company thing had fallen naturally right. by the wayside, somebody and said... And did you lose money on that? No, I made money on it really okay. weirdly because he did actually pay me. Right. And I did actually sign a contract. I mean, I think it was €2,000 Euro or something. I can't right. remember. But, but the know, book never made it The onto book never shelf. made it. No, the company just simply disappeared. Um, but I rang Jonathan, who was, I thought, very wise. He said, right, he said, well, have a look at that novel again... And if you still think it's any good, send it to me. So I had a look at it and I went, there is no. no way on earth that I'm sending this to him. But he and I met and we had coffee and he liked the motherhood book idea. And so we came up with a brief and he suggested it. Um, I don't know to who, I can't remember, but Gil came back and said, OK, we'd be interested. We'll do it. Great. So that was amazing. So I had a contract with them. I wrote the book and that came out in, was it 2014, I think? And I still love that book, I have to say. And then when did fiction decide to enter your life? So then quite shortly after that, I knew then that I could write that length. And that was the thing that had been holding me back. Because there is a
0: big difference between a 2,000 word article and a 70 or 80,000 word book. Huge. And this idea of how you pace yourself over it.
1: Can you physically produce that amount of words? And how did you you do that? actually sustain? So doing the motherhood book showed me that I could actually write... 70,000 words and you know that was that was greatly encouraging that kind of gave me the confidence to go okay now see if you can do that with fiction make it up Mm -hmm. rather than you know research it And I started doing it and I did very much start that one as a kind of if this never gets beyond the fourth chapter, it doesn't matter. It's fine. This is literally to see because the one thing that I had really found out from the previous unpublished was that actually on a good day in a kind of a flow, I really loved it. Mm -hmm. I really loved it. Beyond anything I had ever done, I really adored it. And even though it was so problematic and I couldn't work that book out at all, those little bits... Where things were working, I just adored it. So I started writing *The Privileged*, and I really was doing it literally chapter by chapter. And then I kind of found I got about halfway through, and I was like, "I think I can, I can do this." You know, and were you
0: plotting at that point, or literally going chapter to chapter?
1: No, I was plotting with that one. I worked backwards. I knew the end of that book mm-hmm. before I had any idea of how those characters got there, which. Was I haven't done that since, but it was quite interesting. You know your end point, and then you go back to... You find a beginning that will plausibly bring them to that. Um, And I just really enjoyed it. And I finished it, and I gave it to my sister, who is viciously tough. Her name is Bridget. She reviews books. She is just... She is utterly brilliant on literature. And were you nervous giving it to her? Then? Oh my god! I nearly died. I mean, really. And what did she say? She actually, she was, she was encouraging. She was like, "No, there's something there. You know, she's like, you have loads more work to do, but there is something there that's actually quite compelling." Those characters, you know, the different dynamic between them, etc. So that was amazing. The person who you trust who goes, that's not completely shit, yeah, yeah, is amazing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, okay. So I did some work again on it. I did some rewrites and then I gave it to Jonathan and he sent it again. I don't know who he sent it And what did to. he think of it? He really liked it. Mm-hmm. He really liked it, which was so encouraging. He just immediately went, yeah, we, I re- he was like, I really like this. This is great. Right. And I mean, great, you know, please, I do not think it's great. But, you know, he liked it. He thought there was, there was again, a story and that it was compelling and the characters were good and that you would enjoy reading it. And he took the book to Hachette. Um, and Kira Dorley, who's still my editor there, was so lovely about it. And she really liked it. And then suddenly there I was with the book deal for fiction, which was incredible. And was that a one book deal or how did that work? So that was a two book deal and um, you know which was perfect I loved the fact that there was another to write after that did you even know what that was going to be at that point no I had absolutely no idea and I remember being foolish enough to kind of go well the second one will be easier obviously because (laughs) the first is the hardest and again the sister the vicious sister who knows so much more than I do um, vicious and brilliant and amazing said no no she's like second books are much harder and then of course I got cancer I was about to say that just got in the way didn't it that really got in the way and I will Never know now if the second book, which was really hard, was it really hard because second books are hard? Yeah, or was it really hard because I had had cancer and treatment for cancer and was pretty knocked for six, or most probably a combination of the two? I mean. And
0: did being ill. Um, I suppose, did writing the book or trying to write the book while you were ill, was it a good distraction maybe?
1: It was, so the way it fell was I got that cancer diagnosis in November of 2016 and the privilege was due out in May of 2017. So in fact, what I was doing while I was sick and getting treatment was the final edits on the privilege. And thank God they were the final edits, which is so much easier. like That first big edit is really hard. That's where you're rejigging plot stuff that does your head in because every bit you move, other bits move. Yeah. And, but that had been done, thank God. Um. So I had final edits to do on that and yeah, it was a brilliant distraction. I mean, it really was. Anything that takes your Absolutely. mind off the utter misery of going in day after day after day for radiotherapy and drug treatments and like, oh, hideous stuff is a good thing. And, you know, to see that this book still exists and that you have a life that isn't just cancer. Mm -hmm. Encouraging. And when did the second book, when did you finish it then? So then I started writing. So The Privilege came out in um, May of 2017 and the next book was due in, was it October of 2017 or something? So at that stage, I hadn't actually written anything. I hadn't even really thought about it.
0: About what the plot might
1: be at that stage. No, I had one idea in my mind and... I went with trying to spin the story around it, and I'm very fond of the first half of that book, and I'm not very fond of the second half of that book. It of my of the ones of the four I've done, and was that it was with the your mindset, most difficult? I wonder, or? Yeah, I just I just didn't. I think my concentration was slightly bad. It was not what it usually would be. Um I was still, you know, I mean, I'm not making excuses. I was cured of cancer, which is the important thing Absolutely. and the amazing thing. But I mean, I was pretty fuzzy still. I'd had a lot of a lot of radiotherapy it had been very exhausted, very malnourished. And, you know, it took a while to kind of get over it. Mm-hmm. It also took a while to stop thinking about myself all the time. Yeah, You do get quite obsessive Absolutely. when you are, but not you know, surprising, when bits though. of you are doing very badly and there's pain here and there's this and that there. I suppose not surprisingly, some people are brilliant at switching off that obsession with the physical side of themselves. And I'm obviously very not because it did kind of, you know, within my head. Uh, but I mean, I'm proud of the fact that I did the book and I got it in on deadline. And as I say, even though it was the most difficult of the four oh, to the write form. and it is still my least favourite, I did do it. And I was like, OK, it's done. It's finished. Book two is done. Cancer book done. You know, I'll never have to go through that again. It's now all about the third. And then luckily Hachette offered me another, because that was the end of my two book deal with them. So thank God they offered me another two book deal.
0: And you're on book four now. So this is the latest one, which is The Outsiders. So again, four, you know, fiction novels as such. And the second one was tough. How were three and four then?
1: So three and four were, three was a dream to write. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. um, And I did it. And I had that story in my mind and I sat down to write it and I wrote it and I really enjoyed writing it. I found that very, you know, certainly in comparison with Two, the experience was really pleasant. I mean, the book is not pleasant. There are some tough things in it, Mm -hmm. but, you know, the experience of writing it was great. And then Four was different again. I don't know. Is every book a different book to write? Maybe Mm. Four, I had no story really in mind I had a dynamic that I wanted to explore, so it's these two girls, it's a friendship that begins when they're 11, through chance really, they are not drawn together by any mutual interests or even... And from quite different backgrounds. Yeah. There's no shared anything really between them. There's a particular event, like a kind of an extraordinary event that brings them together. And they end up in this friendship which is a very close friendship and quite an obsessive one for one of them, Sarah who's the lonely, only child very shy of the two and then Jamie, the girl that she develops this friendship with, is super confident, outgoing really sporty, youngest of four so she's got three older brothers she is just one of those kind of golden people that we all love Mm -hmm. just a really appealing magnetic personality because she's not kind of caught up with her own introspection and insecurity. Very outgoing and, um, you know, sunny person. And this girl, Sarah, develops a real obsession with her. And the families end up sucked into this friendship because of the girls and they all get much too close and the results of that are not good for any of them. Um, so I had the dynamic in my mind and I had the idea that I wanted it to be about families, but I didn't really have much of an idea beyond that. And I sat down to write it and I halfway through I was kind of like, I don't know, this is different to anything I've written before. It just was... I don't know, in a funny way, there's less kind of psychodrama in it. Right. It is, it's a more character-driven book than it is plot-driven in the way my previous ones were. And Is that maybe because you're developing as a writer and you want to try different things? I would love that to be true. I mean, I would. I hope it's true. I don't know. I guess you can only ever see that as you go along. And you can see, with hindsight, was that part of a development? I desperately hope so. I'd love to. Experiment and try different things and try and do something even slightly different with each new book. Um, but I did. I mean, I had a wobble over that when I was like, oh God, I love this and I love these characters.
0: But maybe this is really boring. And did you have somebody, again, your my sister, sister. Yeah. Uh, who maybe was able to act as a soundboard in that yeah. regard? Yeah, and
1: she again was completely brilliant. I had spared her book three um, on the basis that I had kind of gone, you know, man up, Emily. Person up. Stop needing to check everything you do with Bridget. And um, and then she read book three when it was published and she went, yeah, that's really good. But she said, you should definitely send me that book because I would have. And I was like, damn, those are the great suggestions. So this time I was like, okay, you asked for it. Here's the book. And she was amazing about it. She was like, okay, three quarters of that book is really good, which from her was great. is amazing and she's like the end and I knew I knew exactly what she meant and this was early in the draft so there was time to change it and fix it and just her point about the end it had gone off on a total tangent she was like that's not how this book goes you know you need to go back and you know and somebody
0: sometimes you need somebody else oh, God, to you sort of give do. you that little little bit you of focus do.
1: yeah I really do obviously it needs to be the right person I mean, you cannot go showing something that you've worked that hard on and that you care so much about. You can't show that to just anybody. It has to be the right person who you trust, who you know will understand the book, who you believe has your best interests at heart, you know. And that person can be quite rare. I doubt any of us has more than a couple of them. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's her. And she was completely brilliant. And she did reassure me because my fear had been, I love these characters, so I really care what happens to them. But maybe for somebody else who has not created these characters, the whole thing is just going to be boring. And she was brilliant at reassuring me and going, no, no, this is really, you know, that's a a really grabbing, compelling story. And how long is it taking you now to write a book? So the writing's faster than the thinking. Writing is fast. On a good day when I'm not stuck with other deadlines and, you know, kind of doing loads of other things. I mean, I can happily and easily write two, 3000 words a day. Like it's, you know, that part of it is quick and... It's not that hard. Thinking about it is much harder. So you, I go in a burst. So I have, you know, the next section of what I want to do is in my mind. And And does it stay in your mind or do you
0: you use post-it notes or do you you plot out on paper?
1: I tend to keep it in my mind mostly, but I do. I mean, you have to keep a record of what you've called people and, you know, I mean, those (laughs) basic things. Exactly. Because otherwise you're halfway through and you're going, damn, what was that brother again? So I do have an outline of who people are. And then I will... You know, if I'm out for a walk, I mean, everyone's best ideas do not come when they're sitting going, send me an idea, God or whoever. It's when you're doing something else. You're doing the laundry or you're walking or you're, I don't know, whatever Inspiration hits. And suddenly you go, that's what needs to happen. And sometimes I will, if I'm out walking, I'll send myself a text. I have two phones, which is really pathetic, but I have a home phone and a work phone technically and they cross over too much. But so I might text myself. Just a line, you know, because you don't always remember everything. I mean, Whatever works you for will. you, though, that's yeah. important. Yeah.
0: And then, interestingly, as well, you've also ghost written a couple that is of books. That's true. I have. Yeah. And I how, have. how did that opportunity come up? Maybe? So, actually,
1: I mean, strictly speaking, the first book I wrote wasn't mine, the first book I wrote was ghost written. And that was Debbie Deegan from To Russia With Love, who I did not know at all at the time, but a mutual friend who is my editor in the Sunday Independent. um, I don't know if I can put that in anyway. A mutual friend put us in touch because Debbie wanted to do a book about her experience setting up To Russia With Love, inspired by... The little girl, she adopted from Russia when the girl was eight, seven, I think it was. She came over here on one of these summer programmes, you know, for fresh air and good food and, you know, this kind of thing. And stayed with Debbie for the summer. And Debbie and her family said that within about two weeks, they were just, this child is not going back. You know, this poor, thin, quite sad child is staying with us. We are going to keep her. And through that, then, she ended up travelling to the orphanage where the girl had been brought up for the first few years of her life and going, I will never forget what I've seen here and she's not the kind of person who can walk away. So she didn't. She set up to Russia with love and she has done amazing work since then. But she wanted to write a book about that whole process as a fundraising tool, really. You know, use the book to tell the story to some of the bigger corporates, And also some of the Russian corporates who she was hoping would get interested in the work she was doing. So I did that with her. And that is fascinating. I mean, that is really, it's very interesting. It's not your book. It's not your story. You are the kind of medium through which the story needs to be told. And yet you need to bring, obviously, all the kind of skill and the creative experience that you have to it in order to do the story justice figure out what bits to tell, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot in any story. You can't tell everything. So what's your narrative path, etc. So that was fascinating. So I did that. And then I did a couple more. I did one for Jonathan um, Irwin, who set up the Jack and Jill Foundation. Then I did one in the UK for um, a UK kind of celebrity who wanted to write about her fertility journey Um, you know it's very it's really it's an interesting thing I I enjoy doing it It's quite
0: different and how do you I suppose one of the things I was interested in and obviously you you feel a lot for the the likes of Debbie Deegan and and Jonathan Irwin what if you end up writing about somebody that you don't actually like
1: Ah that would be very interesting that has never happened to me (laughs) I don't know could you I don't know. That's I'm actually just, yeah, not I'm wondering. really good. I mean, it's quite intense. You spend a lot of time with them. You really
0: do. Because you have seen scenarios in the past where, you know, a, a star buddies up with a ghostwriter and then they, they fall apart after yes. a while. It doesn't work, you know? And I can see how that could happen
1: because... I don't know. I mean, as a ghostwriter, frankly, your job is to tell the story they want you to tell. But then at the same time, if you're a journalist, you want to tell the best story that's there. And those two things could be mutually exclusive. Exactly. You could really see, you can also see people. Being, because as I say, it is intense. You spend a lot of one-on-one time together talking very profoundly about, you know, the circumstances and etc. of their lives. You can see a situation in which somebody, the star, has been more open and then later when they see it written down on paper, they go, no, I do not want that in it. And then the writers are going, but those are the best bits. So, I mean, I can see how it could happen. But so far, luckily... I have only had good and, and very interesting ghostwriting so experiences. So
0: what's in the
1: pipeline now then? So now um, book five. Right. Yeah. It doesn't stop.
0: It's the train that keeps on
1: going. It's the train that keeps on going. I think this one is not scheduled to be published. The plan is not that this will be summer next year. It'll be autumn next year which gives a little bit more time, which I'm delighted about. Um, Do you have a plot? I have a plan and a plot and a change of direction. And I'm I'm not going to... There's no point. I mean, anything can change and happen. If I start saying things now, I'll find myself, when the writing moment comes, and I have really... I've started researching this... But I have written very little of it, so anything can happen. I'm much too scared and superstitious to say it's about da da da
0: da. da. So. And is
1: this another book deal with Hachette? It is, yes, 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 to my absolute delight. You've got a great relationship there. I love working with Kira Julie. I really do. She is a great editor. She's someone who I really like on a personal level and really respect on a professional level. We like we seem to work really well together, which is important. And again, I find her reassuring. Like, I trust her. If she likes something, I trust that she's right. If she has a suggestion to make, I trust that she's right. And what about breaking into other markets
0: then? How's that going?
1: Into, oh, outside of Ireland. Outside of Ireland. Well, I hope that number five, I mean, obviously I hope that number four, The Outsider, which so far is getting good reviews. I don't know what sales are like, but you would hope that if the reviews are good, the sales will follow. You know, obviously, I hope, as every writer hopes, that this is the book that it happens on. But I suspect that it's book five. We have a different plan for book five in terms of where it gets published and how it gets published. Um, You know, and again, like, there's no point ever talking about things until they're actually ready Mm -hmm. to happen. But I would hope and expect that five is really the breakout book because I really want there to be one, obviously, who doesn't but you know I would dearly love this to be my career forever and you know to do it as well as I can and to have it, you know, to have my books available. Well, I've no doubt, place. Emily Hurricane, that it will
0: happen. And thank you for joining us here on Thank You Inside <laughs> Books. You'll find Emily's book, The Outsider, in your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Ire. If you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production.